All right, well, welcome to part three of our message on 2 Samuel, verse 7. The series title has been called, Who Am I? We're taking it from 2 Samuel, and this has been a, a wonderful series so far. I've totally enjoyed it. I hope the rest of you have. I'll be honest, last week, last Sunday, I think most of you slept through the message. Just bringing that up because I know it was 4th of July on Thursday, and I can tell everybody that stayed up late for the fireworks because they slept through church last Sunday. So I'm actually doing the same message. Just kidding. It's a brand new message. It's a good message, but I've been loving this chapter of 2 Samuel 7. I think it's such a beautiful chapter in the Bible. As one of the commentaries I was reading brought this forward. It said this, is a, this chapter is a theological bridge from the Old Testament that leads us from the law into a new understanding of grace. So in this chapter, we kind of have God bringing up with this whole concept of grace and this free gift of grace. And I'm going to touch back on that a little later in my message about how this bridges grace and the law because I think that's such an important point that we see in the Scripture. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about this chapter. And basically what happens in this chapter is that David gets to a place in his life where he has conquered a lot of his enemies. He's in this big, beautiful big, beautiful palace that the Lord has given to him. And he's sitting on the balcony one day, and he's overlooking and recognizing that God is outside living in the tabernacle. Kind of God's movable tent that he would dwell in and he would live inside. And David's thinking, I live in this big, beautiful palace, and there's God outside living in a tent. And so David thinks, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build God his own house. I'm going to build God this beautiful uh, temple for himself. And God comes back to David and says, that's nice and everything, but no. I don't need you to do that for me. And so we have a transition in this scripture where really David comes before God with this pure heart, with this honest heart, and says, God, I want to do this for you. And God says, no. Instead, God says to David, I want to build you a house. David, I'm going to say no to you. That's because I have something better for you. And so we go in this chapter and we see David going from surrendering what his plan was for his life into receiving God's plan for his life. And this is interesting because God makes several promises to David, but basically what God is saying to David is, David, I'm making you a lot of promises. But these promises that I'm making you, you're not going to see while you're alive. Your biggest blessings from me and your biggest promises for me are going to happen after you're dead. And that's a weird transition. That's a weird perspective to think God is saying, the best for you is going to come after you're going to be gone. But that's a beautiful thing, too, because as followers of Jesus, we know the best is always coming. But that's sometimes hard to embrace when the God, the promises that he's giving you are actually going to take place after you die. But that's how God's moving. That's the perspective that God sees of our life. Our life is this continuum from when we were born to eternity. There's not a turn-off switch that happens after we die, but this is continual, beautiful life that God is going to give us that's going to happen for all eternity. So I want to read today uh, 2 Samuel 7, verse 18 to 28. The last couple of weeks we focused on the first part of this chapter where the kind of the dialogue between David and God where he wants to build a house and God says no. And then we're going to talk today specifically about David's prayer before God. This is probably uh, one of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible of uh, transparency and honesty and vulnerability. So join me as I read 2 Samuel 7. Then King David went in. And sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And 
This is introduction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you and there is no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name by doing for them great and awesome things, by driving out before your people, whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord God, became their God. And now, O Lord God, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, and do, have you, and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, for that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken. And with your blessing, shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Before we uh, begin to dive into this section of Scripture and to understand David's prayer, I think the first thing that we need to look at is the first verse, or verse 18, where it says, Then King David went in and sat before God. It's the first time in the scripture that actually your position or your body posture coming before God is actually sitting down. All the other references so far in the Bible up to this point have been a bowing before the Lord or coming to the Lord with this position on your knees. And now we have a position that's talking about the first time of actually sitting with God. And it's this whole idea, the concept of you coming and sitting with God and pouring out your heart to him. It's a posture that you take like you're sitting down with a friend and you're having a conversation. That you're talking, that the one person's getting to know the other person and it's the whole idea of building a relationship. See, we have this, two, this motif going on in this scripture about building a house. And David saying, God, I want to build you a house. And God saying, no, David, I want to build you a house. And so we have David's kind of in this middle area going, I thought what I wanted to do was kind of a nice thing. I thought this thing I offered to God was a good thing, but God's saying, no, I have a different plan for you. And right in the middle between David's perspective of what he wants to do and what God's plan for David is, David comes and he sits before God. He sits before God in this posture of humility, this posture of getting to know God and saying, I want to understand your heart. I'm going to pour out my heart to you because I need to understand what you have for me. And the word sit, or the word sat, sat before the Lord. In other translations, you can say that uh, David, um, there it is. It's the word dwell, or it's the word remain. Or it's the word abide. That word for sitting, to dwelling, to remain, abide. These are common words that you hear throughout the Old Testament. The New Testament, we hear them too. You might be thinking of Psalm 91 that says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Or you go in the John 15, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. See, there's a strong connection in the Bible about sitting with God, about sitting down with him and being open and honest and vulnerable and finding the blessings of God, finding the provision of God or finding the safety of God. But see, what David had to find that day was a change in perspective. David had this whole idea what he wanted to do. God had this idea what he wanted to do for David. And David's in the middle saying, What's, what, what do I do? And so David sat before the Lord so he could find his perspective would change. And that's the beauty of David sitting before the Lord to pour out his heart. Then we go into chapter 27. We're going to focus mainly on chapter 27 to the end about how David prayed scripture back to God and how David prayed a promise back to God. And the first thing that, that David says, he says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And I think at first glance you think, David had to find courage? Why would David need to find courage to pray? This is David, the, the, the man who, when he was a young teenage boy, killed Goliath with a slingshot. This is a boy who was hunted down by King Saul, and King Saul wanted to kill him, and David escaped and escaped time after time again because of God's blessing on him. David is a man who went to war with multiple enemies time and time again, and he had victory. So why is David saying, I found courage to pray to you? It really doesn't make sense when you kind of look at David's life and what God has done in his life. I think the reason why David said it took courage for him to pray is because the kind of praying that David does takes courage. The kind of praying that David does takes courage because David went before the Lord in vulnerability. David went before God to pour out his heart to God. He went to God to pour out his heart because he wanted to build that relationship with God. David wasn't the kind that just quickly said, okay, I got these three prayer requests here and I'm going to ask for you to fulfill them. But David's the one who would sit down with God and pour out his heart to him and, and, and he would have the expectation that God would respond to him as, for, as, as a communication. That's what David expected. And that's a hard thing to do. Sometimes that's a hard place to be when you go to God and you actually pour out your heart. Because sometimes in prayer, God doesn't meet the expectations that we have when we go into prayer. And sometimes we need courage to go back to God in prayer because sometimes through prayer we become discouraged. Because in prayer, we come before God and we say, God, this, this is what I need. I'm pouring out my heart to you. God, I'm asking for this. And sometimes God comes back and says, I'm going to answer your prayer in a way that you're not expecting. But sometimes God's response to your prayer is not exactly what you're hoping for. And sometimes that becomes difficult when our expectations are not met. See, David had just heard God say no to him. And I think that might have been difficult for David because David knew his heart was right before God. That he had a pure heart before God and he wanted to build the temple for God and God says no. And sometimes that is just frustrating. When you think I've done everything right, I'm living right, my heart's right, and you go to God with a request and he says no. And you really don't understand it. And see, I don't think this was the first time that David was disappointed with God not answering his prayers because you read in Psalm 13, verse 1, where David says, How long, O Lord, 
will you forget me forever? David understood what it's like to go before God and to pray something and God not responding in the way that you anticipated. But David's also the guy who writes in Scripture that God's going to give you the desires of your heart. So David, like us, knows what it's like to pour out your heart to God and have God respond, but he also knows what it's like to pour out your heart to God and then sometimes it doesn't happen like you expect it or you don't hear what you want to hear. And that's why God needs to give us courage. He needs to give us courage to come back to him. A definition of courage from Webster's Dictionary says, it's the attitude of facing and dealing with anything recognized as dangerous, difficult, or painful, instead of withdrawing from it. It's the quality of being fearless or brave. It's the quality of having value. I think for us, sometimes in prayer, it can be difficult or painful if you hear no maybe one or two many times. Or it can be difficult when your prayers are not answered the way you want them to, and we have a tendency to then withdraw. We have a tendency to kind of pull out of a relationship. And so God gave David courage to continue to come back to him. He gave him courage to come back to the table. See, I think every one of us deals with fear now and then in our relationship, God. We all deal with sometimes this emotion of fear. And courage is simply that ability to overcome kind of the fear in your life. See, God understood David. He understood what was going on in David's heart that he needed to be encouraged. So God gave him the encouragement to come in prayer. So David has heard at least a few times in his life, no, or he's wondered where is God when he's praying. But there's something else that's going on with David is that he needs to be persuaded. He needs to be persuaded by God. See, the word faith the actual definition for the word faith is to be persuaded. That's what faith is all about. It's God persuading you that he is able to do something beyond your ability to imagine. Faith is God persuading you that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's where faith comes from. It doesn't come from you working it up, but faith is a gift from God where he persuades you that he is better than anything out there and that he persuades you that he is able to do abundantly more for you than you could ever ask for or hope for. So God is coming to David, and he's persuading David, David, that my idea that I have for your life is better than the idea you have, and that's going to unfold in David, have, David having tremendous faith to believe in what God wants to do for him. But I think there's another obstacle that David's facing. And we've talked about this on the last two weeks. In verse 20, we go back a few verses, and David says to God, And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. David comes before God and says, God, you know me. You know my heart. You know what's going on inside of me. You know what I've done in the past. But also, Lord, you know the things inside of me that want to do things that are not really right at all. But God, you know those things. See, David had a proclivity towards sin and I think David was saying, God, you know these things about me. And I think there's part of David that probably didn't feel too worthy to receive the promises that God had for him. Because I think there's part of David that was probably hooked up and connected and thinking a lot about the own sin in his life, thinking, I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough to receive these blessings from you. But yet God's coming in and saying, David, I am going to do something for you that you never even imagined. 
that through your lineage, your son is going to build a temple, but also through your lineage, Jesus Christ is going to be born. And I think David's sitting there with this feeling of worthiness and saying, I, I don't deserve this. I'm not good enough for this. And I think sometimes we all know what that feels like to think I'm not worthy, or we probably know the feeling of looking at somebody else and saying, I don't know if they're too worthy either. But it's easy to get to that point in your life where you think, you know, God gave me salvation and that's probably about as good as it's going to get for me because I'm not worthy to receive anything else from God because if you really knew what was going on in my heart. See, a lot of us are like David where we know something is wrong on the inside of us. We know something's wrong and we think, how can I fix that? And so we can spend a lot of time and a lot of energy thinking, how can I fix that? And we know that doesn't happen. And I think David's in that position. David's probably in the position thinking maybe I'm flawed. Maybe I'm beyond repair. Part of us wants to give up at those places in our life, at that juncture in our life, and say nothing else is good going to happen. So sometimes we can go in a self-preservation mode. Think we'll just keep everything status quo. We're not really going to expect anything. We're not going to shoot for anything. We'll just keep living in status quo. But then... But then God comes in and does something nobody ever expected. So I read this article by Tyler Weiss last week, and he said, often when we're living in our sin, we expect God is glaring at our sins, that he's glaring at our condition with anger in his eyes. And I think sometimes, people, we feel that way that God is just angry at me. And he's angry at my sin. He's angry at my heart. He's angry at my situation, and he's just mad. But you know, the Bible tells us something completely different in James 2, verse 3. It tells us that God loves to show mercy to people. It tells us, in fact, that mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to show mercy. He's not glaring at people because of sin in their life. Tyler goes on and he writes when he first found Jesus, and this is a beautiful story of when this young man was in college and dealing with his own sin and his sexual sin. And he said, I often say that when I first felt the Holy Spirit one Sunday morning, that I felt like God, that I never felt like God was ignoring my sin. It felt like he looked beyond it. I never felt like God was ignoring my sin. It felt like he was looking beyond it. It was as if my father said, this is good. I hope you cry too. <laughs> this is really touching me. It was as if my father said, I know what your rebellion against me is all about and I get it. 
And then he proceeded to meet my core need. To know and to be known. Softening my fear of being alone and insecure. And showing me that he is the fulfillment of the very thing I've been looking for. This is a beautiful picture of the relationship we have with Christ. The relationship that Christ has when he comes into your life. Or the caterer. That he comes into your life and he's not glaring at your sin. He's not glaring at your situation. But yet, as Tyler said, he's looking beyond your sin. He's looking beyond your sin to see in the future what he wants to do for you. And God is more concerned how to get you from the place that you're in to get you to the future plans that he has for you. And that's what God was doing with David. He's saying, David, I see the situation that you're in, but I see where I want to get you. And my goal right now is to get you from where you're currently at to the place that I have for you. And that's the beautiful thing that Jesus does when he comes into your life is that he moves us from the place that we're in to get us to the place we need to be. I find it interesting that when David came, when God came to David and spoke to him about the plans that he had for his life, David was sitting in his house. David was in his own palace. But where did David go? He left his palace and he went outside and he sat in God's house. That's what the promises of God do for our life. That's what the Bible does for our life. It gets us out of our circumstance. It gets us out of our own perspective and it brings us into God's house. It brings us where God wants to be in order to transition us into the plans that he has for us. And it's this beautiful story of you finding how David traveling in this, in this chapter to go from being in his house to being in God's house to embracing the plans that God has for him. See, we all deal with sin in our life. And sin in our life is nothing more than trying to get our desires met in the wrong place. That's simply what sin is. We all have desires. We all have needs. And we're trying to get them met someplace. Sin is the belief that God's not really going to meet our needs, so we got to meet our needs on our own. And God comes to David in this verse and says, David, you have this desire, but I'm going to meet your need in a way that you're not expecting. Tyler goes on in his testimony to say, he says, And Jesus had eyes to see people as they were created to be, rather than the sin they manifest. It's easy, and it takes no discernment, love, or character to call out other people's sin. But it takes the Spirit of God moving in a person to see past sin and to see the deeper need. It also takes a mature person to see that need and then ask God how they can be part of meeting that need. That's a beautiful perspective of what God does to look beyond our need to see. God looks beyond our situation to see the needs that we have. See, the beautiful thing about the Bible and the promises of God is that it makes the blessings of God tangible in our life. It puts the blessings of God within your reach. Now you might wonder, how, did, how does it make the promises more tangible? Or how does it make the blessings of God in your reach? Because what the Bible helps us to see is that the blessings of God and the promises of God are not based on what you have done, but everything's based on what Jesus has done. See, we have an enemy that's constantly saying to us, well, if you want this in your life, you can't have it until you clean up your act on your own. The enemy likes to say, you can't have the promises or blessings of God in your life because you're not good enough. 
But see, Jesus comes in with a different message and says, the promises of God and the blessings of God are going to come into your life so you can clean up your life. That's the only way you're going to get cleaned up is by the promises of God and the blessings of God working in your life. But we have an enemy who's constantly telling us, you got to get your life straight in order to have the blessings of God. But the blessings of God is the actual thing that God uses to make us whole, to help us to be overcomers. So we go back to 2 Samuel, how I talked about how this is the bridge in this New Testament. It's this bridge to go from law and to grace. See, so far in the Bible, from Genesis all the way through uh, 2 Samuel 6, God's relationship with Israel has always been based on a master and a servant. God is the master and the people are servants, and God's blessings are always conditional on how Israel behaves. Everything is based on Israel's obedience. You look at the book of Deuteronomy and Judges and Joshua and 1 Samuel. It's the same story in different ways where basically God is saying to Israel, if you are obedient, I'll do these things for you. But if you sin, I'm going to stop. The relationship with God and his people up until this chapter has always been based on the word if. If you're obedient, you're going to get a blessing. If you're not obedient, it's going to be drawn from you. But in 2 Samuel 7, we see a whole new element of grace come forward. We see this whole new picture that suddenly God is going to bless David and his family and his children based on a covenant of grace. That God says, this is just what I'm going to do for you. And if you sin or disobey, I'm going to keep blessing you. Now, you might receive consequences from your disobedience, but I'm still going to bless you. It's this unconditional promise from God that he's going to bless David's family and he, God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And this is a radical departure for the way it's been. You might remember before David was King Saul. And God got to the point with Saul that he was done putting up with him. So what God did was he removed his empowering spirit from Saul's life. He took it away. And I think some of us have that same feeling. We sometimes feel like we live under the law that God is going to remove his spirit from us if he gets fed up with us after a while. But that's the law. But now God's coming in with this new, this new grace and saying, I'm still going to be with you. That your Holy Spirit is still going to be with you because God is always interested in showing mercy instead of judgment. And so we continue on and we read David's prayer that David had courage to come before God. David had courage that despite his frustration with hearing no, despite his, lack, his, his previous prayer time of hearing no, David's saying, I'm going to come in confidence because I know the grace of God that he's going to fill me with. So we read in David's prayer in verse 27. We've read part of this. He says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. So David's saying back to God, Okay, God, you said you're going to build me a house. David repeats it. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. So this is what David prays. He says, And now, Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and your blessing shall, blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. 
See, David comes before God. Did you hear what he prayed? He said, God, you said you were going to do this. So now David prays and says, okay, God, you said you're going to do this. Now, God, I'm asking that you're going to do this for me. We see this relationship between the blessings of God and the word of God and the prayers of David. Basically, David is simply asking God to be faithful to the promises that he said he's going to do. So what does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? You may say, well, that's nice. David, well, he had these promises from God because he had a prophet. He had his friend Nathan in his house saying to him, this is what God says he's going to do in your life. And it's easy to look at and then say, well, David had these special promises that he had something that we don't have. But if you read through your scripture, you read through your Bible, you're going to find there's about 3,000 different promises from God for each of us. That there's 66 in the books in the Bible, and the Bible is all about what God wants to do in our life. And all through here is 3,000 different promises that God wants to do. And we see from the story with David how sometimes promises become a reality in your life. That sometimes it takes sitting before the Lord with the Word of God in your hand and praying back to God what is written in the Bible. If you study the Bible and you study the prayers in the Bible, you're always going to notice a strong correlation between answered prayers and praying the promises of God in the Bible. So that's a big question for us. Are we missing anything in our life because we're not aware of maybe some of the promises in the Bible? Could it be that we're missing things in our life that God wants to do just simply because we're ignorant of what his word says he wants to do in our life? Could it be? Could it be that there's something missing? I love this illustration I heard by J.D. Greer recently where he said every year, $5.8 billion worth of gift cards go unclaimed. That's $5.8 billion of gift cards that nobody ever uses. You can see why stores like to sell gift cards because they know most people are never going to use them. And all of you are thinking about those Christmas gift cards that you got right now. <laughs> yeah. I have a Toys R Us gift card I know I hope that we never use with Trey. What's for? Trey's like, what? Can we use it? <laughs> Toys R Us is gone. Sorry. <laughs> but see, I think in the same way, there's some promises in the Bible that go unclaimed every year by us. There's things that God wants to do in our life that would just simply go unclaimed because we're not really sure what's in that word. And I think the scripture shows us these huge things that God wants to do in our life, but it took David sitting before God and praying back to God what he wanted to do in your life. Now, I do realize that you can look and say, well, that, that, this, that was David. David had these promises. But if you read in 2 Corinthians verse 1, verse 20, Paul says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ our amen ascends to God for his glory. See, there's all these promises in the Bible, and Paul's basically saying these promises are for you. These promises are for you. And I think instead of reading the Bible, we have to have an attitude, a little bit of praying the Bible that you sit down with your Bible and you find some promise in there or maybe you find something from the Psalms that you stop and actually pray it back to God. You say, God, I thank you that you say that if you dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will rest in the shadow of the Almighty and say, God, thank you for that promise. 
Lord, help me to sit with you. Help me do what you are saying in this verse so I can receive that provision of safety with you. That's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to make that Bible become alive and active and we can see how it works. That relationship with God that's built through reading the Bible and praying it back to Him. See, sometimes we get confused because a lot of us are like David and we have prayed things in our life and it doesn't happen. Maybe God says no or we struggle because the results haven't been how we wanted to see them. And that's the difficult part of prayer sometimes because prayer is sometimes the clearinghouse for our desires. That we go to God with all these desires that we have and say, God, would you do this? And we give God good suggestions about a solution for them. But sometimes God says, your solution isn't the best thing for you. And it's frustrating because we think we have a really good solution going on. And sometimes prayer is difficult because it's that intersection where our desires meet God's solutions. And sometimes those solutions weren't exactly what we were looking for. But yet God has a better plan. And God's better plan for David was going to actually materialize after David was gone. That's a tough road. That's a tough thing to kind of swallow sometime that prayer doesn't happen how we want it to happen. And we get confused because you read in John 16, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he'll give to you. You think, done deal. I should get everything I want. And we all know it doesn't happen that way. Instead, asking in Jesus' names really means submitting what you ask to the will of Jesus. It means submitting what you ask to the will of Jesus and trusting what you get is good. That's the tough thing with prayer is trusting what you get is good. You know, as a church, we've all been praying for months for Tammy and her eyesight. And her sight was restored. Tammy can now see. So we thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's encouraging. For months, we prayed for Tammy. And she can see. Both eyes are one eye. Well, that's awesome. You can see. It wasn't too long ago she couldn't see. And that's encouraging, but sometimes there's still discouragement. But that's the tricky thing about prayer because we know God is always meeting our needs every time we ask. And there's sometimes we go to God and we pray. We pray His promises. We pray His word. And it doesn't turn out how we expect. But yet, we know God is interested in building our relationship with Him. And sometimes it's that time of praying the promises of God and reading through His Word when you might not understand what's happening, but you find yourself drawn closer to God. And that's what prayer is. The ultimate promise and the ultimate blessing of God is a deeper relationship with Him. That's the goal of prayer. The goal of prayer is a deeper relationship with God. Because the deeper we go with God, we find all of our desires are met. 
And suddenly some of the things we've been praying for aren't as important as our relationship with God. Sometimes the promises of God and praying them back to God and praying the Bible back to God is simply to firm up our relationship with Him. And once that relationship with God is strengthened, really a lot of other things don't really matter a whole lot. But we need courage because sometimes in the midst of that, it doesn't feel that fun. And it feels pretty discouraging. You kind of want to withdraw from prayer. And you really don't want to pray. But yet God continues to invite us back to prayer, invites us to sit down with him. It's that mystery of prayer that sometimes gets a little challenging. I love the story of Jacob and Esau. You might remember the story of these twins in the Old Testament. That Before they were born, God told the mother, Rebecca, he said, look, you're going to have twins, and Jacob is actually going to get the birthright of the family which is kind of a strange thing in that day because normally the first child born would get that birthright, so that belonged to Esau. So God had said it from the very beginning. He had promised Rebecca, he said, look, when your kids are born, Jacob is going to end up with a, the birthright, but Rebecca kind of forgot that. And so anyway, she, what she tried to do was manipulate Esau and Isaac in order to get the birthright. All along, God simply wanted to do this. If Rebecca would have paused long enough and said, God, you say it in your word you're going to do this. God, this is your promise to me. I'm going to sit back and relax and let you do it. Instead, what does she do? She causes this whole big problem and problem with Isaac and problem with the kids, family, blow up, blew up the whole family. But yet, fortunately, God did continue to pursue Jacob and met Jacob in a place, and that's where Jacob wrestled one night with God. But Jacob understood the promise of God, what he wanted to do in his life, but it took Jacob to surrender. See, our future is in the promise, is of the Bible, and the promises of what God wants to do in our life. See, there's a lot of other promises in the Bible. Sometimes, like J.D. Greer says, look at these promises like gift cards. What other gift cards in the Bible does God say I want to do for you? We look at like Matthew 28, 19. God says to us in the Great Commission, he says, I want you to share the gospel with other people. And you know what? I'm going to be with you. That's a promise from God that if you share the gospel, if you share the gospel with people you work with or your neighbor, or your friends, or your kids, or your spouse, whoever, God is going to be with you. That is something we can pray and say, God, I thank you for your promise. You're going to be with me. Whenever I share the gospel, that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to be with you. I love how in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with a temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. That's a beautiful promise of God, because every single one of us in this room deals with temptation. We all deal with some kind of temptation to sin. And there's times when you're dealing with that temptation that you wonder, how am I going to survive? But God says, you know what? I'm going to give you a way of escape. That's what you pray to God when you're dealing with temptation. God, I thank you that you're going to give me a way out of this. Maybe some of you are saying, well, I prayed that prayer and it didn't work. Well, pray it again. And pray it again. And pray it again because we know God is faithful. And God is going to provide you a way of escape. Sometimes it's like David in the beginning. Your perspective needs to change on what is your way of escape. 
Sometimes God tells us a way of escape, and we're saying, I, I want a different door. I really don't like that one. And that can lead us to grief. We can, and God says in, in Psalm 147, he says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That's what God wants to do when people are sad and broken. He wants to bind up their wounds. And you can pray that with God with full confidence that he's going to do that. See, part of praying the promises of God is learning God's character. What God wants to do, it's not about sitting there like a lawyer negotiating, all right, you got to do what's written here. It's understanding God's character. And I love the promise in Revelation 7, verse 9. It says, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and people and languages, standing before the throne and before their Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is a picture. Keep going. I skipped one on her. I'd like to make sure she's awake. This is a beautiful promise of revelations where what, what heaven's going to look like someday. But this is a verse that we can pray as we pray for Andrew Miller, one of our missionaries in Nepal. We pray for Ted and Leslie Quist, our missionaries in the 1040 window. Say, God, I thank you that you're going to draw all nations to you, that you're going to draw every people group to you. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you what you are going to do in Nepal through Andrew. And this is how we pray with confidence, knowing that when we pray, that the lost in Nepal would be saved and that Andrew's mission would expand in Nepal and as Leslie is going into a country, this Lebanon, we can pray with confidence because we know what God wants to do. It's this beautiful picture of reading God's promises and understanding his heart. That's why it's important that we become men and women of the word of God. That's why it's important that we understand God's word so we understand what he wants to do in our life. So we don't miss out on these good things that he wants to do in our life. So we don't miss out on knowing God and having this deep relationship with him that comes through understanding his character. That's the beauty of prayer. It's not about getting your needs met as much as it's about getting to know who God is and developing that relationship through Jesus Christ. I gave you in your handout today, you'll notice that insert some different, some different promises of God in the scripture. Maybe you've never prayed the Bible back to God this week. Ask God to show you how to do it. Just surrender that to God and say, God, help me to do that. Take that list with you. It's amazing sometimes what you find in those scriptures that are going to speak to you or speak about your situation. Sometimes these verses will strictly do what they did for David. They're just going to give you courage. That's what the Bible does. It gives you courage. So I can get back in this game. I don't have to run and hide. So, Father, we thank you that you are a God that loves to give us courage. That, Lord, you're a God that likes to speak to us at the most vulnerable points of our life when we feel like we don't qualify or we feel like we've gone too far or we feel like we've sinned more than you will tolerate. God, we thank you that you do not glare at us in anger. The Lord, that you look at us with love and acceptance. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who can look beyond our sin to see what we really need in our life. And then you want to meet those needs. Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would minister to every person here. Minister to them at a deep place in their life where they really need you.
Or maybe they have a desire right now that's looking to get fulfilled in one place, but Lord, it's the wrong place. Lord, would you meet every person's desire here today to encourage them, Lord, that you have a plan and that you want them to be fully known and loved by you today. God, would you just move with your power of your Holy Spirit as we sing this last song. And Lord, as we sing the song and we lift up Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you draw every one of us closer to you today. Lord, we thank you for the transformation power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for that right now as we sing this last song. Lord, I pray that anybody here today that feels maybe I'm not worthy or I don't qualify, that, Lord, they would feel your love and acceptance in a way they've never felt before. I pray anybody here that today that maybe thinks, well, God, you don't have a good plan for me, that they would understand your words that says, I have a good plan for you and a good future for you. God, would you draw us all closer to you as we close in this last song? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.